One quick message before I start the show. You can find all the links and resources for this episode by visiting the show notes on rickyrichards.com. If you enjoy this episode, do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're feeling particularly generous, you can help me to grow the show by leaving a review on iTunes. For anyone who does subscribe, review or share, thank you. I appreciate it. Now let's get into the show. Welcome to Ricky Richards Represents, the show where I talk tips for success with leading figures of creativity and innovation. Hello everyone and welcome to the show. My guest today is Peter Dench. Peter is a videographer, presenter, writer, author and creator, but is best known for his insightful photojournalism of culture here in the UK and abroad. He's the author of several solo books that contain both his commentary and pictures. Those books include The Dench Dozen, The Dench Does Dallas, The British Abroad, A&E, Alcohol and England and finally England Uncensored. His work has been commissioned by countless publications, including the likes of The New Yorker and The Telegraph, to name just a few. And to talk to me about his work, British culture, and some of its associated quirks, Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ricky. Thanks for having me. (laughs) No worries at all. Do you like the titles of those books? They are good, actually, yeah. Yeah. I think I can tell exactly what happened. Basically, you released a couple, (laughs) and then all of a sudden you became well-known enough to, to, to ride off of it. Pretty much. I, want, yeah. I wonder what happened with Louis Theroux back in the day, if that's the same thing happened to him. Maybe. If, maybe. The, if the first ones were... Yeah, the trend in photography seems to be to try and reduce yourself to one name. Right. So that's that's my approach. Just, I just want to be known as Dench. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's some of the others again? There's a rank... Oh, yeah, ranking. ranking Peru. Yeah. You know. I like that. It's good. We'll see how it goes. But having a good surname, I think, is uh, key being a creative if people can remember you see i I, think it's uh i've got a a catchy name because it's ricky richards but then obviously i get all the are you called richard richards um yeah so but um i'm no relation to dame judy i just want to clear that up it's the question i'm often asked the most so please don't ask (laughs) no i've tried to i've listened to a couple of your interviews and there's a few things that people ask repeatedly so i've tried to avoid it as much as possible although that said, I'm going to kick off with something that probably everyone asks you, which is I wanted to just share, before we talk about British culture, I think it's kind of nice if we go into our backgrounds very briefly so that people can understand the lens at which we're viewing this. Um, I myself grew up in North Devon, so I know you're also from the South. My mom's from the West Midlands and my dad's from Manchester. And so there was a kind of quite a, a stretch there of different people and different ways of looking at the UK in particular. Um so I guess, oh yeah, I guess my my mother's a dinner lady, my dad's a painter and decorator, so it's all very working class. Uh, and I think like yours is r- not the same, but similar in, in essence. Absolutely, yeah. It may not sound like it. No? <laughs> I, I, I ironed out the Dorset accent right. at a reasonable <laughs> early age. Um, yeah. I didn't think it would open as many doors. Uh, to be fair, it wasn't that strong. But no, I mean, yeah, South Coast, Weymouth, Dorset brilliant place to grow up you yeah know, very violent colorful place in the summer you know the total opposite in the winter so very was, violent yeah there was um there was a navy base nearby on portland and that used to deposit horny sailors into the town every few weekends <laughs> and then there was a train station and we were 
you know, a, a, a working class seaside resort. So you'd have like Bristolians and Brummies coming down during factory shutdown and they were horny and looking yeah. for love. And, and we were, you know, and the locals, we were always looking for love and throw in, I think, 180 bars if you count the hotels and it became quite a mess. And I think the population tripled in the summer. So you can imagine that kind of... Just loads of flowery shorts. Yeah, and... so it was all, all very all very punchy and boozy and, you know, that was my introduction to England. I see, I see. Um, one thing that I thought was quite interesting when I was kind of researching you, your background and your work and everything, was your online presence. Um, from, a, from an outsider perspective, you look like this really rowdy kind of... I don't aggro kind of looking British British chap. You almost you look like you could come out of a BMP brochure, but obviously you're quite a well spoken and uh, just interesting, considered individual. I, but when I saw it, I inst- I kind of thought this is a considered. You've you've thought about this. Am I right in saying that, or do you think it's first actually- of all? How dare you? Yeah, <laughs> I have hair. Yeah, you know, no. just to paint a picture for the viewers, well, clinging on to it. You well, know, before you say, like, I look like the biggest stereotype ever. So, you know, people look at me and go, this is a thug. Yeah. And, but yeah. was, was the online presence deliberate, is that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, up until 2009, I, I would have never agreed to do this or a university lecture or, you know, stand in front of people, sit down in front of people and and say what I say, you know, but uh, I realised that, you know, times were changing and for me it was kind of diversify or die. You had to, and, you know, I was hungry both creatively and literally, um, you know, I, could, I'd have not a, <laughs> I haven't got a trust fund, you know, I haven't got parents to rely on. Yeah. They're still alive, but, you know, they help where they can. But, uh, you know, so I had to kind of change um, around that time. It, yeah, for 10 years, I just operated as a photographer. I shot the stills, the writer did the words, the phone would ring. And that kind of all rapidly started to disappear. Um, you know, I saw writers being asked to take the photos and I was thinking, hold on, you know, surely it's better if a good photographer c- c- can write the piece. So I started honing that craft and then, you know, the explosion of social media. I thought, try everything. Yeah, you know, we we were all scattering, you know, running around, you know, a bit headless, trying to find out what was going to work, what was going to be productive to our craft. So, yeah, I thought if you're going to do it, do it well. If you've got something to say, say it better than else, better than anyone else, or try and say <laughs> that, it the that, loudest. That, that was so, not the time to mess up then. Say it better than else. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I do try and maintain an online presence and some people meet me and think that that online presence is who I am and as you yeah. succinctly pointed out, that's not necessarily the case. It's very truthful, but it's only an element um, a brand, if yeah. you like. I, don't, I remember being in the World's End in the mid-90s in Camden and you know, I'd just arrived in London. Great time to be here. You know, Britpop, Blair was was coming into power. You know, London felt like the, the place to be and I remember overhearing a conversation um, about 
you know, someone saying, like, yes, we've got to be a brand. And I said to my friend, Matt, you know, if I ever get to a point where I say that, just give me a friendly punch in the ribs or something. <laughs> so, but it's, it, you know, we have to be smart about But it's also... Smart about it. I mean, we'll get more into this, but it's almost... It, I get there's a sense of humour in there as well, which I think is a kind of... When you're saying getting a jab in the ribs, it's almost as though it's a bit of a tongue-in-cheek thing. I, I get the feeling. Once people know you a bit... Um, that aside, one thing that I just wanted to get out there early was obviously people are used to seeing very beautifully well-composed shots now, beautifully, not even a word, um, but you you go for this very candid thing and, and try and capture real moments. What, what was it that actually drew you to that in the first place? Um, I don't know any other way. I mean, you know, I'm a photojournalist I guess by trade you know I have to be so all right let me let me jump so back to Weymouth you know that was my introduction to England and I was confused you know it wasn't the National Trust brochure that you see the slow motion pageantry advertising Royal Ascot you know it was a it was a saturated colour violent confusing place and so I I you know, always had that in the back of my mind to be as honest um, and try... You know, the, the a lot of people accuse my work of being sneering, um, but these are the people that I'm familiar with. You know, these are the places I went as a teenager and while I didn't photograph it then, you know, at least I'm trying to make amends 25 years later. I don't blend as well as I used to, Ricky. I, could, I should encourage anyone listening any young photographer to shoot what they're living now you know if they're into Jesus or into thrash metal or whatever youth culture they're passing through document the hell out of it because uh, it'll be gone or if it's not gone and you try and go back as a 45 year old you'll, you'll find that you you don't blend as well as yeah, you might once have done that's a really good point isn't it that and oftentimes you don't see what's happening when you're in it, but only in only in hindsight. Yeah, so I lived through, you know, football hooliganism in the 80s and later that decade, the acid house scene and then progressing into Britpop and, you know, I didn't point my camera at any of it. And uh, in that decade, you know, there's no great visual archive from one photographer of... Some, you know, at least you know the football and the and the rave scene. Not to my knowledge, anyway. So that's a big regret. When you when you're taking a photo or when you're selecting your photos, so I imagine you're taking a lot when you're going to these places. What what do you consider to be a great photo? Something that makes people smile, makes people think, and at the very best, effects change. So we haven't got a lot to work with as photographers. In a way, it's a ridiculous way to live, trying to make sense of the world through a rectangle or a square. So you've got to make every tool of that moment matter, you know, so composition, perspective, colour, content. If you can nail most of those, then you'll probably get a get a good picture out of it. One thing... So uh, I know in a, another interview you mentioned that you you got you got known as the British guy. So you started to try and spand out a little bit in order to to kind of break that stereotype a little bit. But um, one thing I thought was 
when oftentimes you go to places where there's crowds and sometimes with these environments it's almost people let let their hair down a little bit they're, they're quite sensationalized in a way because they're these they're they're real environments but they're kind of staged environments if you go to ascot you dress up you you do all those kinds of things versus just actual life which is a much more much more mundane and i was thinking this morning like you don't people don't photograph people walking down the street or if they do does is that when it becomes street photography as opposed to photojournalism and i was just wondering what your interpretation of it was do you particularly go in search of these environments where unusual things are likely to happen or do you like what, what how do you view it perhaps i mean the first thing i guess is i realized quite early on in my life that i was ever if i was ever going to travel the world it was would have to be at someone else's expense you know i'd have to be paid to do it and if i'm going to get up and get out of bed with a smile on my face i want to go somewhere that i'm going to enjoy you know, i realized quite early again that i wasn't a frontline photographer um, i didn't want to go and cover another country's war i wanted to get a tan <laughs> so you'll see, see you'll see, see see a few boobs by the some of the subject matter possibly yeah um, so i kind of targeted as well as trying to document what was familiar to me from my youth i also wanted to document things that were startlingly exotic for me and i never knew public schools existed until i was like 18 I never knew public schoolboys patrolled the world with a confidence uh, that I'd never <laughs> seen before. And the first guy I met, I think he was called Alex Steele Perkins, and he had a friend called Piers. And I looked at these people and had no idea who they were, why they were like they were, and where they'd come from. So I, I spent you know, a lot of my time trying to get access to all these institutions like Eton and Harrow and... Country houses, you know, I wrote to the Duke of Devonshire asking if I could come to his tercentenary celebration. Wow. And, uh, yeah, he sent me an invite, but not a plus one. So I was going to say, when, so when, when, when you're citing someone called Piers as the unposh one, that's when you know that there's... No, uh... he, he was, you know, it was, it was Alex and Piers. They were like a double, a duo. Right. Um, so, so, yes, for, so for things like Ascot, you know, I've never, I'd never been. Um, Epsom, I'd never been. Uh, you know, Glyndebourne all these things and it's my job I guess as a photographer to try and witness as much as I can and make sense I, I wouldn't suggest for a minute that I have the definitive visual archive on Britain yeah or the British but it's my contribution uh, it's my voice you know this is what I saw and that's shaped by my background what what's a, what's a guy shooting in Bradford? What what does he see? You know, and someone in Norwich. Yeah, and let's all contribute it, and then one day we'll have a the go to visual archive of our time. It's quite funny because it, they almost the photos almost uh, amplify the stereotype or the archetype of those environments. I'm sure that they are like it in, but I think the. For example, I I, uh, I was mentioned to you recent uh, before we started speaking about my friend Reese Chapman, who's uh, the uh, gay rights campaigner and uh, does lots of things within the kind of football community to try and raise awareness. And he invited me to walk on uh, Gay Pride. And I was saying to you before the interview again that I, I like to take candid shots and and 
that's an amazing environment in which to do it because there's a lot of quirky, weird kind of individuals walking around. And then when I collated my photos, I found myself selecting the ones which were the most weird and the most quirky because they were so out of the the norm for me, if that makes sense. But it all, in a way, it also gave a slightly a slightly misinterpretation of that environment because I was pick, I was cherry picking the best bits, if that makes sense. Um, Everyone's a photographer, aren't they, Ricky? Of course, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, that's it. So if uh, you're fed up with Peter's work, <laughs> just give me a call. Uh, no, I was actually going to ask, because in one of your other interviews, you, you mentioned about uh, I, you, you don't shoot from the hip, that you prefer to be quite like in, you know, you're confident with your camera, you'll be in this space. For me, I always thought that just the nature of maybe shooting from the hip, it, it gives you the most pure form of like, candidness because then they have no idea that you're photographing them uh, nonsense nonsense you shoot from the hip you can't see what you're photographing no that's how how, how can that be pure well pure seeing well but the camera still captures an image whether you don't see it or not if that makes sense so i agree with you in the sense from an artistic of an individual it may not be great because that individual doesn't necessarily have any compositional skill they're kind of it's uh, uh, they're rolling the dice and hoping for the best. But in terms of capturing life in its purest form, do you, uh, yeah, do you uh, disagree? I do, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm not ashamed to yeah. be a photographer. Yeah. And I don't think people mind being photographed as much as you may think. Um, so I shoot, I shoot close, um, usually from one to two metres away. I think it's more respectful. Um rather than standing in the distance with a zoom lens. You know, I want to be able to respond to my subjects. So, you know, I want to, I want to be able to smell what's on their breath most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> to, to know if they're drunk or what they've eaten or if they've got a stain on their shirt or if they want to respond to me, if they want to say, what are you doing? You know, I won't go, uh, uh, nothing. I'll tell them exactly what I'm doing and 90% of the time, 95% of the time, They'll either turn around and say, oh, that's interesting, why don't you come with us, or how about try there, or they might say, I'd rather not be involved, and then, you know, I'll have that conversation. So, you know, I try and shoot through a situation. Um, you know, I'll try and hang around it until I understand what's going on, because if I just grab a picture and, and move on, um, and I write a caption that says... You know, a, a drunk man is arrested by police. That could be completely wrong. You know, he could turn around and say, well, that's that's not true. You know, I had an allergic reaction to some medication and was being helped up after a nasty fall. You know, so that's that's a ne- really interesting way. You'll never see a, a caption of mine saying, you know, a drunk man. It will probably say something along the lines of Hull police arrest a man they suspect of being under the influence of alcohol because the day I assume that he's out of his skull and I'm very sure that they may be, you know, they'll turn <laughs> round and say, well, where's the medical proof and things? So you've got to be careful. There seems to be a trend in street photography at the moment of, you know, just sort of jabbing the camera at someone and then dashing off, you know, and I just makes me feel a little uncomfortable. You know, it's a... 
it's an exchange, isn't it? It's a collaboration. So, you know, people might be looking at my pictures and, and going and thinking, you know, I'm that isn't the case. But yeah. most of those situations, I've been there at the beginning, you know, I've been there at the end. So, you know, whether it's a hen night, you know, I'll, I'll call up the party organiser and say, can I come out with you? And I'll meet them at the beginning of their evening. But if halfway through the evening they suddenly have a change of heart and say, actually, Pete, we want you to go home, I'll say, well, you know, <laughs> we, you agree, we agreed I could stick around. Uh, let's, so, let's so, see. So you take that uncomfortable few hours. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you said that you like to blend in. I'm kind of imagining you in Ibiza wearing a mankini. <laughs> it's in the middle of a, in the middle of a uh, rave or something. Well, the, the, the way I... Right, so, you know, I've got no tattoos. Yeah. Uh, I've got no jewellery. You know, I'm not wearing a religious insignia. I don't wear a football shirt. So when I walk into a, a pub, you know, again, I'll be honest, but I don't want someone to make an assumption of who they think I am. So I, I, that's how I blend. And, again, I'm, you know, I try and be confident, stick around, uh, sit down, you know, I'll, I'll buy a round of drinks if I need to. Um, but I don't blend as well as I used to, as I kind of hinted at earlier. There's a video on YouTube of me on a on a boat party in Ayanapa, and the DJ's kind of on the <laughs> on the top, and he's he's sort of you know rocking some David Guetta or whatever, panning the panning the crowd, and then he gets to me and he goes whoa, <laughs> and like moves it, and then he forgets and does it again. And the moment I saw myself in that video as a slightly Bolding at the time, forty-two-year-old man. I thought maybe I don't blend as well as I think. Be holding the camera and giving it a bit of a <laughs> hand pump with the I, other. I, I was make, you know, making boxes, dude. Yeah. dude yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of. The more I think I should move away from photographing those kind of things, the more I seem to be asked to do that kind of thing. So I'm off to Royal Ascot on Thursday, hey. Ladies' Day. That'll be interesting. Uh, you. It'll, You'll do well to top the Bin Rain photo. That is a brilliant one. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, the, the one where they use the uh, the top of the uh, bin lid as, as a shelter for the, oh, the rain. Oh, for one of my pictures. Yeah, okay, yeah. Th- thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was but, good. But, but you know, seriously, that, I mean, Ascot's, the whole English season has, has changed. It's more accessible, um, but it's also becoming, you know, a place you'll see more sniffer dogs uh, because of the brawls that were happening last year, um, you know, the drugs that's, that are involved. So I guess, you know, rows have moved from the terraces, football terraces, to to the races, and I've seen <laughs> that, and that's a legitimate part of, of the development of Britishness that I want to document. Yeah. Um, talking about the development of, well, not just Britishness, but culture as a whole... Selfies are quite an interesting phenomenon within photography. The fact that there's no beautiful monument in the world that can't be improved by the the addition of someone's face. Um, what's your interpretation of? Is it the fact that we're all becoming self-obsessed, or what? People don't like to take photos of stuff without people in them anymore. Yeah, it's strange, that... isn't it? It's, it's quite disturbing as well. I saw people doing selfies outside Grenfell. Um, on Westminster Bridge after the after the attacks, and you're kind of thinking, what? What? I, I don't quite get the the mentality of that. And maybe just to excuse that behaviour, maybe it's just 
an automatic response, isn't it? You, you know, I mean, way back in the 80s when there were like video recorders, I remember having an uneventful barbecue at my sister's and then the rain came and someone said, well, what should we do now? And someone else said, well, why don't we go in and watch the video? And I thought, why do I want to watch the video <laughs> of something I haven't enjoyed? You know, so it's kind of... But that was then, and again, it's now, it's just selfies are all part and parcel of you know, sending a postcard from Magaluf and putting the X on the, on the window of where you were staying and, like, sending it to your mum, I guess. So I think it, I'm hoping it might fizzle. Is that a thing, is it? That's, I like, that's well, well back in the, Yeah, back in the 80s, you, yeah, yeah. The, the only way to tell your mum you were all right in, in two weeks in Magaluf was to send a postcard on day one because right. it would take 10 days to get to Weymouth <laughs> and then you just sort of, it'll be a hotel and you go like, point and put an arrow of where you thought your, uh, thought your room was. Um, there's a, I remember hearing this thing once about some people that, Basically, they 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 uh, bought objects in the moment, and then they'd stored them for for years and years and years. And basically, by the time they got brought out of the the boxes in pristine condition, fifty years later, that all of a sudden they're kind of iconic retro objects that are worth more money. It's kind of a when your interest rates are low, it's an interesting way of potentially having savings if you've got a keen enough eye to know what will be iconic in however many years. But uh the analogy i'm trying to get to is that oftentimes with photography like if you look at an old photo now of people in whatever era and they're wearing different dress and all the rest of it that for some reason regardless of whether the photo is good or not you you seem to you get a lot of inf- enjoyment out of out of it do you think that all photos become valuable over over a period of time but potentially yeah i mean even my own work in in alcohol in england it's only they're 15, 20 years ago, but to me they already look extremely dated. Um, so as a photographer, I guess the thrill or the the moment, momentum is to photograph today what will be history in five years or ten years or what will be prevented from photographing or what might disappear, you know, because technology's changing so much. So selfie sticks are already in the decline, aren't they? Uh, so, they're, <laughs> you know, they're... they're so I think, yeah, I think every picture that records something has value. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's difficult to to understand how that that, that defines itself. Uh, before I go on to kind of the second section of the, the interview and I get more into to people and political elements of the British uh, society, etc., I just wanted to ask if, like, you yourself, do you see yourself as an active member of society or do you <clears throat> the way I'll, the way I'll say this is like sometimes when I walk down the street and being in advertising and media and everything I look at things from a very I like to think quite a wide angle perspective of like how we're being manipulated how um you know and this is stuff that I get paid to do every day like how am I going to fool people into buying some crap they don't need and I for from a from your perspective, you like to stand on the outside and photograph people engaging in real life. Do you like that? The fact that you do you look do you, do you think these people are mental, <laughs> or do you like to be part of it? You know, I'm a tourist in my own life, Ricky. You're, yeah. you're lucky. I'm not talking about myself in the third person. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I guess it's 
arguable that photographers are a little dysfunctional in terms of participation. You know, we choose to be on the periphery looking in. Uh, that suits me. I feel very comfortable there. Um, so do I feel like an active member of, of life? In No, <laughs> I think it's the honest answer. I, I can't... I can't dance. I can't show spontaneous joy. Uh, you know, everything kind of does is deliberated and debilitating to yeah, a degree. That's the funny thing, isn't it? Is that when you, it's the kind of. It's interesting you were saying about confidence because it's almost the I don't give a shit mentality of of when you see that. It's, there's something really attractive about it, even if you don't necessarily agree with it. It's it's. Um, there's a lot of people in films uh, some of the favourite characters of say the Inbetweeners or American Pie back in the day they're they're these dysfunctional ludicrously arrogant and uh, kind of narcissistic individuals but for some reason you love them because they've just got such good character and uh, a lot of that comes across in some of the photos you take is just people that just live in it if that makes sense Yeah, yeah and I kind of envy them yeah. Um, to a degree, because I, you know, I'm not, I'm not like that. Um, yeah, I don't take a camera, so I, I'm. I know football bores some people, so I'll make it brief. I, I'm an avid AFC Bournemouth fan, right? <laughs> but, I, but I only go to away games because uh, they're a bit more thrilling. Uh, but I never take a camera, and people say, "Oh God, why?" And I say, well, because just for a brief moment, I want to live yeah. in, in, in what I'm experiencing. And sometimes that's frightening because I come back from Leeds away or Burnley away and I go, did I really do that? Uh, so if I'd had a camera, I probably wouldn't. Just watching the bloke in front of you pick his nose throughout the whole first <laughs> half and think, God, that would have been a good photo. Something like that. Um, <clears throat> so the second part, I wanted to... I, I, I debated making this a little bit more political, but I realised I don't really know what I'm talking about. But I just there's a lot of interesting things that are going on culturally in the UK. Um, obviously, we've had we had Brexit, and then that very clearly showed like an interesting divide in the country. And I know that you've been around a few more years than myself, and I was just wondering if, like, from your perspective, being someone that is very observational of British culture, what do you think is unique about this time now than say time gone by? I don't know, Ricky. Um, no. <laughs> what, what, I, I, what I have experienced, people often ask if there's a north-south divide, and I don't think so much uh, anymore. Uh, I definitely think there's a London-everywhere-else divide and maybe an urban, countryside, rural, sorry, uh, divide. So, yeah, with uh, are we talking about Brexit? Well, it doesn't have to be in general. I, like, I th- to to what you just said, like I would, I'd agree with that um, to some degree. When I go up to the West Midlands, which is also a city, Birmingham, Wolverhampton, they see London as still very uh, divided from them. It's like pe- the people that live here are completely different. They don't have. I think what I think what tends to happen is within London there there are silos of culture and we kind of accept it in a way. People talk about it being a melting pot, but it's actually much more of like a individual groups of people in different places and then commuting and stuff. There's a melting pot, I guess, to some degree. But 
it's a remarkable city, though, isn't it? I, I'm surprised, you know, there aren't more riots. Yeah. Than there, than there are. You know, the the ones that started in Tottenham. Yeah. Um, just happened to be a year where there wasn't a World Cup or a European Cup. You know, yeah, yeah. An X Factor had <laughs> finished. I don't know. Maybe. That's it. Yeah. But yeah, so it's, it's quite remarkable that there isn't more flare-ups. Um, yeah. No, I, I I'd agree with that, and it, but it's also fascinating when, for example, I'll I'll pop up to North London, and all of a sudden I'll find myself in the Jewish community, and it's like I don't see them ninety nine percent of the rest of the time, but uh, like there they are, we're all living side by side or whatever. But it's it's uh, yeah, it's, it's certainly interesting. Yeah, you're, you're, I, I had to leave Crouch End for this. You know, that's a yeah. big step for me. <laughs> um, talk, t- talking about like pockets and stuff. Um, humans humans as as a species or whatever i think we are quite tribal i li- i like to look at well i think it's undeniable that we're quite tribal i like to look around when i go down the street and go oh like who do people hang around with like they hang around people similar to themselves they come from the same places uh we all support kind of football teams which are named after cities and then we have these fictitious lines in the ground which represent countries etc cetera, etc cetera. um Obviously, again, with your with your work, you go in search of tri- like these little tribal groups to some degree, or at least kind of shared consensus consensuses about areas where people should go and congregate. Um, do you think what what's your interpretation of tribalism, and do you think that that is a positive, or do you think it can actually cause divide among people? It's a positive for a photographer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as a as a photojournalist, I like to document change. Yeah. So the more change, the better. But on the Brexit issue, maybe I'd have uh, wavered that right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it makes for an interesting country, doesn't it? I mean, what's Birmingham? An hour on the train. Yeah. If that, and uh, yeah, it's it's got its own identity, very strong identity. Yeah. Uh, as has you know Newcastle, Liverpool, Manchester, and all these places that are. Is that the same in, of other countries? I, 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 like I literally don't know. I haven't explored enough to know whether because the UK is a really unusual place, and it's it's a small place, but there is the the people are so vastly different. A couple of hours in every direction. Yeah, I did a reportage on our longest road, uh, the A1. It's yeah. four hundred and ten miles, which is practically a driveway in America. Yeah, or a trip <laughs> to the mall, isn't it? So, yeah, yeah to to see such such extremes yeah, in such a small island is is fascinating and i think i th- you know i'm i'm all in favor of it i think that's a strength you know uh, of our of our identity as an island nation yeah and as for you know our other countries like that i'm i'm pretty sure they are i mean again i can't say with authority but i you know i think germany you know north south east west you know the, has its own quirks and identities and uh yeah that's that's the joy uh, yeah that's the privilege of living in where we are that you know I, I can get to 22 plus countries within a four-hour flight you know yeah. and that's uh that's a tremendous sort of and, and something suppo- to take advantage of i suppose in a way so the internet's come along and f- for example say well as soon as you get within a certain I don't know, certain income level. Basically, the world becomes a lot smaller. It opens up to you. You can visit all these places. I imagine that over however many years from now, 
all, a lot of these divides will start to break down because you'll have a lot more kind of cro- crossover amongst amongst people. Whereas, literally, not even that long ago, we were all very siloed. Like it, it, amaz- it amazes me when you look a couple hundred years ago at how just the world is so rev- uh, like radically changed in that time to the point where people wouldn't have left their village or whatever, and now people fly across the world to change jobs on a regular basis or whatever. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to look up this phrase, siloed. That's a few yeah. times you've used that. Oh, no, really? I'm, I'm not down <laughs> with that one. But I, th- I think, you know, with the, with the collapse of communism, yeah. um, those countries were desperate to regain their identity. So there was a period, you know, when Lithuania, Estonia, a, a kind of, you said it's all, it's all, that's all going to break down and we'll all be one big happy clappy global family well, i mean i at the moment i see people scrabbling you know not backwards in, but to redefine who who they are and who their communities are so you know maybe that's again that's that's quite interesting for me that uh, oh, that is and i think england needs to go through that we're no longer the strutting hosts you know we're no longer the world power yeah that we were or that we think we are or that we deserve to be you know uh and we need to sort of reassess our identity by not clinging on to what's gone before. And I, I, you know, I, maybe Brexit could be a good thing. Yeah. Um, that we decide, you know, take stock. So when I when I travelled up the A1, yeah, the purpose was to meet as many people. It starts in London, it ends in Edinburgh. So yeah, it takes yeah. in quite a swathe of the nation. Yeah. And I stopped off and I talked to as many people as I could because I wanted to find out what they were thinking yeah, at this yeah. very crucial time in our history. And they were very stoic, you know. They were taking stock and they were thinking, right, what have I got? What do I need? You know, how am I positioned yeah. for the next 10 years? And yeah, it was actually quite optimistic yeah uh, and people you know the english and the british have a can-do attitude you know bring it on it's gonna happen let's get it done and then see what we we yeah. need to do and you know I th- again that's this i I, th- I find the british very approachable you so, know and if you if i stop it off at a cafe and you're on the a1 just outside doncaster yeah uh, busy bees <laughs> I can recommend uh, other cabins are available and just stay there for a couple of hours and chat to the human traffic that comes in and out. Um, you, know, you get a get an interesting understanding. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I was actually in Norway when I woke up after the European referendum vote and everyone I know was voting Remain because you know, uh, we were in London. Yeah, and then you know it was a surprise. So I thought, why? Why has this happened? And then I went and did a report in Burnley, where sixty six point six percent of the people voted out. Yeah, um, you know, and, and again, sort of travelling up up and down the A one, realised that you know, I was in, I I guessed wrong, or not guessed wrong, but you know I hadn't sort of appreciated what was going on, and I needed to change that through what I do is being a photographer. So again, I've tried to just add my voice to the the great Brexit debate. Well, I think, so an interesting insight that I have in, in my own life, and it's why I wasn't necessarily surprised when it happened, was that 
it's it's quite similar in a way to to America with the whole Trump thing in that you've got these extremes at either side of the country and then you've got a large populace in the middle and I know for example in in the West Midlands there's a, a lot of kind of issues around assimilation and different cultures that are brushing up against one another and when I travel from here up to there and and speak to my family it's like a world of change you know and and uh yeah so but at the same time i can imagine that where i get a perspective here if it if things were different and it and i was exposed to different experiences on a daily basis that maybe my opinions would change and one of the things like i i was never into politics a couple of years ago and i've become more into it but i've always had the impression that i shouldn't really have an opinion until i understand the sides if that makes sense and so I remember around the Brexit around Brexit time, people were kind of pressuring me to make a vote, and I was like, I don't, I'm not informed. I, I don't I don't know how you think you are because this, this is such a complex issue. Um, but yeah, that was interesting. And then to to the other point you had about how like kind of regaining your national identity. Um, Malcolm Gladwell had a really interesting point the other day. He was talking about the uh, immigration into America from Mexico and how the borders and the walls that like. Uh, metaphor, metaphysical or real walls that have been put up actually mean that people don't return back to their country, which is something that they would like to do, but because because of the because of the restrictions that are put in place, they never will. And I recently flew to America. I'm potentially moving out there, and um, the whole time I was there, I was kind of oh, I wish I was at home, you know. <laughs> and I, I don't think I'll ever lose that, or at least I don't think I will at this present moment. And so it's interesting to imagine from other people's perspectives when they've come from a wildly different culture where they might love or because everyone looks back at their childhood with admiration and then think that they would never want to go back. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting topic. Where might you be moving to in America? Uh, San Francisco. OK. And I was uh, extremely... The first thing that caught me was the, the, drug, like the drug problem there. Um, and so then all of a sudden I, oh God, I, I, I couldn't get into it on the podcast because it's too, too, too much. Maybe we'll talk about it afterwards. But you instantly start to appreciate things like the NHS because you start to see very decrepit people walking around everywhere and you think that wouldn't happen where, where we are. It's, it's astonishing, isn't it? It's, uh, I photographed in San Francisco for a week uh, a couple of years ago and yeah, the homeless problem was... Shocking. Yeah. Uh, 10 o'clock in the morning, a syringe fell out of a man's backside and he kicked it across the street and it came to rest against my Adidas SL72s in blue. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, that wasn't well, uh, the, a unique experience that was happening I've, regularly. I've got a seven-year-old sister and I was almost brought to tears in the streets. I saw this little girl being dragged through the street by some, you know, drug drug parent or whatever and I also saw that one moment like a like a woman being pulled down the street clearly kind of against her will and you of you paint pictures about what might happen to this woman and uh yeah it was really eye-opening but then at the same time like flip side to that is my mom's not particularly well at the moment or I don't think she is she's she's very strong uh but I see that the NHS is like a like useless at dealing with it and I think like oh like is there alternatives so then you start Again, one of the reasons I'm interested in culture and why I find your work so fascinating is that by looking at other cultures, that's only when you can reflect upon your own in a way that, that 
oftentimes when you're in it, you don't realise what, what it is you're experiencing and then you go somewhere else and you go, oh, God, I wish I could have an English breakfast. If, if like, you know, that's the lowest common denominator, but uh, all of a sudden you realise how unique your, your circumstances are. Yeah, for, for, for years I denied where I grew up. You know, <laughs> I wouldn't mention Weymouth and I wasn't ashamed, but I didn't think it was a positive thing to talk about. And then sort of later on... I realised what an influence it had, how it had shaped me, how I'll never get it out of my system, how, you know, associated I am to the sea and the seaside and everything it delivers from its sense of humour you know, to its behaviour. And, you know, so I, I made an active decision to acknowledge that and uh, not be ashamed or... Uh, of where I grew up and actually be quite proud and you know nostalgic and uh, yeah look forward to to going back there obviously not going to move back there <laughs> I live in you don't like it that much <laughs> <laughs> I think it's got the most it's profitable got... weather spoon in the country it's got crap coffee shops though right <laughs> not, not the biggest uh, oh yeah you can't get a Double decaf, uh, the way I like it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You you leave the beach smelling of cigarettes and uh, all the cocktails taste of bubblegum. Yeah. And men wear T-shirts that say sex, drugs and sausage rolls. Um, <laughs> Brilliant. I've never photographed there extensively, you know, always abiding by that, not on your own doorstep. Yeah. But I think there'll come a time where I'll I'll give it a good... Give it a good go. Got to call your book not on your own Dorset. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't quite work. Yeah, it's not got my name in it. No, uh, yeah, that's. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll work on it. Um, I wanted to ask you. Uh, I I subscribe. This is a podcast. I'm into podcasts. I subscribe to this the New York Times one, which is called the Daily. And people love watching Love Island or whatever the latest thing is that people are into. I just find real life like the most exciting drama there is, but uh, and I, I'm not sure if it's just because I'm at an age now where I understand it a little bit better. But it feels like it's more dramatic than ever, and I wonder if, in a way, are we? Well, no. Do you know what you're looking up to the sky there? It's not, is it? Really? It's actually quite tame in historical standards over the over the last however many years. I, I maybe, yeah. But I, I've got a nephew who's probably 25, 26 now. Yeah. To your age. Yeah. And I've already said what I lived through as a teenager and I, and I asked him what he lived through and it was kind of the Spice Girls. <laughs> and he's a, he's a Manchester United fan. Yeah. Despite living in the, on the south coast. Well, do you know um, what? As am I because my dad's from Manchester. Okay, so but, I, I, but, get an, I get a buy. And I think, I think people of his generation kind of treat say, going to watch the football the same way they would go to see a West End play. Yeah. as a day out, hiss, boo, you know, almost theatrical. Yeah. Um, so I don't think... My opinion is that it's not as dramatic right. as it was, you know, with, with CCTV and every, the progress seems to be made. The only reason you'd go to Houston Station, King's Cross... 20 years ago was for an experience with a transsexual or a row with a rival football firm. Right. <laughs> and now you can get some uh, sourdough and uh, yeah, a nice coffee and some organic butternut squash. And while that's progressive, I kind of miss the, the wildness that London, you know, in particular, has, has gone through for me. I mean, I, Kingsland Road you know, in Shoreditch was as far as I'd go east uh, during daylight, you know, during 
night time anyway, um, you know, in the mid nineties, and now you know, it's Shoreditch, and yeah, you know, I can't afford to live there. Um, so you, you have a walking tour about how bad it was once yeah, upon a time. Yeah, so I, you know, I, I'm wary of going down that. It's not like the old day. You know, when yeah. I arrived in London, you know, phone boxes were, were used to use the phone. You know, not to sleep in or relieve yourself. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Bag of, I had a pager, some twenty p's, and it was. Yeah, but I, I guess every individual, every generation has their exciting times you know i've never been to like cream fields and these these big festivals you know maybe that's defined a a generation um i don't know what do you do for kicks rick i i i'm told that i'm like i'm like a 50 year old in a a (laughs) young person's body i'm i'm proper boring i like i like to read i like i'm I'm nearly 50 yeah well i apologize but uh no you i guess I don't know. I like to challenge myself, uh, and I like. You know, I, I was always into ideas, and so. But then, once you kind of exacerbate creative ideas, in the because there's only so many different approaches to 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 ads, for example, um, you start then moving into kind of philosophy and politics and trying to understand that, and then how that has weird implications. And then you realise that if you don't expose yourself to lots of things. So I, I just like to try and find good sources of information and realise that... And expose yourself as, as much as possible. Yeah, just not my genitals in public. <laughs> I, ideas are our currency. Yeah, that's it. How full are your pockets? Exactly, yeah. But also, so my philosophy on ideas is if all you do is consume the things that everyone else consumes, then obviously your your inspiration is limited to that which you're... That everyone else has, so you're better off trying to look for things which are vastly different or counter to your, you know, all my friends will do something, and I like to be the odd one out if that makes sense, um, because then it gives me a different pool. Is it easy being you? I think so. Yeah, I'm actually yeah. really content because I, I, you know, I, I, you know, I often think I'd like to have lived in, you know, the Victorian times where the only way to see an elephant was to go to the zoo or yeah. go where they live. Yeah. You, know, you can't see a, you know, you could see maybe see an illustration. Yeah. And I guess uh, yeah, that's what what drive drove me or drives me as a photographer. But more and more, everything's been done. Everything seems to have been seen. So it's just trying to navigate all that noise and trying to make, you know, from my point of view, try and make a contribution that is different. You know, show some show people what they think they know about but in a different way. You, you've made me think of a really a weird thing, which is um, about being exposed to stuff. Like you were saying, you had to go see an elephant. I remember I went to Iceland with a couple of friends and they really wanted to see the, the geysers or geysers, however you pronounce it. And I'd watched a video of what a geyser looked like. Or a ge- and I, was, I, I kind of know what that's going to be like. That's the way I thought of it in my head. And, and then we were going to see the Northern Lights, and I knew that every representation of it was the perfect night of the, the Northern Lights. And, of course, I was excited to go and see the Northern Lights, but everyone expects it to be this, the sky lit and up or whatever, and that's the one day of the year when it's amazing. I, I've, yeah, I've, I've rejected going to see the Northern Lights twice in favour of going to a club or bar. Yeah. Well, that, that's what I mean. I, in a way, a kind of exposure to things 
in the digital realm sometimes deters you from wanting to experience it in real life. I went on a safari once, and that was disappointing. Yeah, you know, we'd, <laughs> they, we'd, you'd, they'd say, "Oh, we've we've you know the the guide uh, would would get a radio call saying there's a pride of lions at this location, and then we'd go there, and there'd be more vehicles viewing them, you know." And then I'd be looking at the other vehicles because some of them would be from Branson's yeah. uh, lot. You know, they were they were much much more wealthier trip, bright, and, bright uh, red cars. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I had a nap, and then a friend of mine woke me up for a hippo, and I said, "Look, you know, unless it's a cheater, I'm not interested." Right? Uh, because <laughs> I just feel so saturated with other people's sort stories and pictures and things. But surprises are still out there. So before we came on air. I'd, said I was doing the going to Russia and I'm doing the Trans-Siberian. So what? You know, a lot of people have done it, but I've done no research on it beyond, you know, find, you know, I don't want to be an idiot. Yeah, you booked your uh, ticket. <laughs> but, yeah, I didn't want to watch YouTube videos or blogs. I, you know, I want to live it for the seven days um, and see see what, what happens to me or what people I meet. Um so yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Now I leave my you know, each day I leave my phone at home and I pick up a copy of a tabloid, tuck it under my arm, and actually go and talk to a barmaid or barman. You know, I need that that contact. Um, I'm going off on a tangent here, but you know, for no, me, I think that's an uh, That's a really yeah. You know, I got into photography, so I didn't have to sit in front of a computer or at a desk, and that's yeah. become increasingly common. You know, you, I used to come back from a trip, a bag of film drop it off at Metro near Smithfields, go for a couple of pints of Guinness because the pubs opened early for the, early for the meat traders. <laughs> uh, then I'd pick up the contact sheets, grab a bottle of wine, mark up my edit, you know, send that off to the client and then get on a plane a few days later. And uh, I kind of miss... You know, so Getting I, pissed all day. <laughs> well, I, I don't miss that. There's, there's always ways, but yeah, I don't know. I guess it's just um, I. I don't know what I need to. Yeah, this is interesting because I want to understand what someone your age enjoys about life or how they get their thrills. I mean, uh, the alcohol in England book. I stopped photographing it in 2008 because I saw a massive shift by. Uh, younger people away from binge drinking. Of course, we still see it, um, but they they kind of turned away from the alco pops and and you can't walk through. You know, this is becoming a bit London centric, but there's a there's a run for charities, marathons, this, that, and the I, other. I think that one's quite an easy explanation. Basically, alcohol was a necessary evil to get laid, wasn't it? And now you flick through an app. Perhaps, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that. Yeah, that's good for the generation. So, for me, as a as a young man, my pool, my pulling pool was potentially like six, <laughs> six women because, so they'd be either be in your class, you know, university or college or whatever, or they'd be in your local pub. So it wasn't that broad. So I do kind of envy that opportunity that your generation has been given, and you know, any single. Man, I, 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 I noticed uh, one woman in particular on one of your videos, actually. She was from Essex, I think. She was talking about her fake tan and her hair extensions. And it's kind of um, the Dunning-Kruger effect in a way of like... She, or 
I feel like she was really telling you like what she was really interested in, and I wondered behind the camera if you were just laughing your head off, <laughs> if that makes sense, that just the absurdity of it all. Like, do you, I, I know you mentioned the, earlier that you don't mock, the, 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 but is there ever an element of like, I just want to kind of document the, the naivety of this? Or There is an absurdity to the everyday and the normal, isn't there? Um, and I guess my job is to try and understand that while it's happening. Um, so we, you know, as we said earlier, you'll look back in five years and go, "My, my God, did we really do that?" And so I, I, you know, trying to be a little serious for a moment. My, what I want to do, and this sounds very grand, is to create an anthropological legacy of our time. <laughs> you know, right. and so the reason I did the British Abroad book was I thought there may come a time when everyone is tired of what we do when we go to their town or city. And I thought cheap flights with, you know, fuel, green issues might come to an end. So maybe I, I've called that right or maybe I've called that wrong. We'll, we'll know in 10 years. So I may have a good visual archive of young British partying abroad or it may just carry on and it'll disappear in the all the sort of visual images that will be created from now on. But, you know, I, I believe there there will come a time where we'll look back and go, oh, my God, you know, what were we doing? And I've seen, you know, the, just go, the, this idea of, like, the Brit abroad as a plump, sunburnt individual, I didn't see that. I thought the men knew they had to try really hard, so they were all fit, you know, ripped lots of tattoos but they understood that you know, in order to stand a chance uh, they had to sort of get a bit healthier and while they still do a fishbowl of ruskin off vodka i think there is a, <laughs> there is a uh, yeah i never had this healthy obsession and you know i've got daughter and nephews and nieces and they don't seem to hammer it as hard yeah. as as their parents um, and that's that's a good thing. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Sorry, I, I did. There, there, no. there wasn't. A, there, it wasn't a succinct point. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, just just again, just thinking of how I, I, like I cultural think, shifts. I think and, I think it was. I think yeah. That was so I've point. only documented the British for twenty years. You know, I've got colleagues of mine who've done it for fifty. But yeah. but but I've seen significant change, um, and that was uh, maybe like falling off of that. And this is kind of we're coming to quite close to a close now. But if if there was of all the experiences you've had and all the different cultures that you've experienced, um, what's maybe one really co- one cultural insight from either the British culture or another culture that has informed your life moving forward? Like what what, what do you think you've seen and you've go? I'm going to retain that regardless of whether the society moves on from it. Yeah, you could you. Uh... You could have sent me that as a pre-question. I know, wait until my la- <laughs> wait until my last question. Well, here's another question. No. Hit, hit. Well, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's just, just I photograph people. Yeah, it's hard to do. Uh, it took me three years to point a camera at someone that I didn't know, but it's worth it, you know, because people are infinitely interesting, uh, and you know, I've had the privilege to work on over in over 60 countries on assignment, but it's, I feel it's my duty to document the British significantly. And they're, they're, they surprise me 
all the time. You know, young photographers are scared and, you know, they don't want to point a camera at someone. And you know, for me, the British are constantly surprising me just at how welcoming we are as a nation, you know, and uh, the time that we give, the understanding that we have. You know, I know we've romped across the globe in the past, dominating nations, but there's a civility to us and you know, that I find constantly surprising. And you, you said earlier about the geezers, you know, I've never walked into a situation that I've researched and I have an idea of it in my head and it's been exactly that. It's always thrown a curveball um, wherever I've been, you know, to some of the best hospitality I've had has been in Liberia, in West Africa. Um, you know, the camera, as a you know, cricket was my first passion, but I, I never had the... It just made me feel nauseous before a game because you could fail in front of people. And, you know, with a camera, you still live life on the front line, you know, uh, and you get incredible access. You know, it's it's a real privilege if you get the balance right. The the homes I've been in, the food I've eaten, just because I've got an Olympus <laughs> slung around my neck has been uh, quite extraordinary. So my fight is to try and keep that going for another 20 years because I don't want it to stop. But before I ask you my final question, do you have any... Um any stories of a shot you've attempted to take that you've missed that you kind of wish you'd captured? Diana's funeral. I thought, I need a shot of this, Princess Diana. Um, so I went, you know, found my spot uh, along the route, waited for a long time, got bored, and then started looking around... And there was a woman kneeling in front of me uh, and she had a price sticker on the bottom of her shoe. So I knelt down to take a picture of that just as the hearse went past and I sort of pinged up and I just saw all these roses landing on the, uh, on the hearse as it disappeared up towards Northamptonshire in her final resting place. So whether it would have been a good shot, I don't know. But I always try not to talk about what I missed, you know. You always talk about what you achieved and what you delivered, otherwise, you know, it could be uh, that spiral into darkness. <laughs> <laughs> you say that with a try, smile on your face. Yeah, oh. try and, uh, yeah, if you sit in a Photographers shouldn't be together in a room, you know, what do you call a room full of photographers? I don't know the answer, you know, maybe an egoclectic, I don't know. But we're, we shouldn't be together, Um we should be out there on our own, making our way, doing what we do. You know. Invisible. Yeah. Um, before I ask you the final, final, final question, which is one I should have prepped you on before because <laughs> it's going to be one of those, but um, do you have any ask for the audience and where can people or how can people best get hold of you? Um, if you pop to the Maynard between four and six in Crouchond, uh, most weekdays uh, I'll be there. Which is where? <laughs> it's N8. No, I'm very open. If, if, <laughs> right, it's a pub. If you want to buy the round. The Maynard Arm. <laughs> I, I used to get so many... This, this sounds a bit arrogant, but anyway, I used to get so many requests from people saying, can you help me with this? Can you look at this? So I decided, I said, I'll be in this pub in Crouch End 
between four and six on a Thursday, the fee is one glass of house red or two glasses of house red. And I'd just sit there and, you know, I'd get two or three people turn up and some of them would want validation of what they're doing is is good or others would just be beginning but that was quite a nice way but I am all over social media so and I do answer any emails or requests for help um my these are very collaborative times Ricky and do, do you make good margins on your books go buy books <laughs> <laughs> no I mean the, the books the fine you know right so the books for me are important they're yeah. my legacy yeah um, as soon as I release an image into the world, whether it's of a fatal car accident or you know, someone in distress, uh, the Daily Mail could run it or put, someone could put a slogan over it. But they can always come back to me and go, why did you take that picture? Why did you release it into the world? What context was it supposed to be seen? And I kind of, that's that's the book, you know, it's a... They're, they're bodies of work, um, so I don't, you know. <laughs> if, if you the books you, you, are affordable, you know. I, I'm, I'm joking. I'm only. But uh, if, if yeah. people want to get in touch with me, you know, it's, you, it's you, fine. You're Instagram. A, you're a professional and very humble, but uh, yeah, they're, in, good, they're actually well. Definitely go to the website, and if you're interested, then maybe get one because I just it's really kind of you to bring me the book, and actually, I'm actually really excited about that. It's probably one of the best gifts I've been given. So I'm. Um, yeah, thank you did, very didn't much. Did Tom Alden bring anything? He did, yes. He also brought his uh, journey, his 24 hours over London. Ah, okay. Which is also another good one. Um, Not the LP then from the crooners. No. That would have been a gift. Yeah. No, the, the thing which I like, the thing, the thing I like about, you know, there's humour in your stuff. And I found myself chuckling at the computer screen today, looking at a few of your pictures and... It reminded me, I had a, I had a chap on uh, called Dave Bonaguidi. He's an artist and he said that he likes to draw pictures and he said he did one of three dogs, and, but they all had erections. And it was just because he liked the fact that people would look at it and go, why, you know, have a little chuckle to themselves as to, or whatever. But, like he, And I think there's something nice about that when life's so serious. Yeah, but humour doesn't devalue the message. You know, no, humor is a tool, yes. and it's it's difficult to get right. But if you use it well, it can create more of an impact. You can disarm. You know, for me, a successful magazine spread or book or exhibition is if I can take some of the viewer on a journey of emotions. If I can make them laugh, make them think, make them gasp, make them sad. You know, for me, that's a success. So yeah. it's you know it's it's. I don't just want to make funny pictures. Yes, no, I apologise. No, 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 I I, I want people to laugh. Yeah. Um, And and it is, you know, if... if It's important, it's important for me. I grew up on Benny Hill, the TV series. You can still get that on YouTube. Uh, (laughs) And Carry On Films. Right. You know, uh, no? No. No. So it's all kind of like, it'll it'll probably be illegal in five years. Right. Uh, That saucy seaside sense of humour, that kiss me quick. Got it. Kind of mentality. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, you know, I acknowledge humour, but but with with humour comes great responsibility. So my final, 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 final question, which I have to ask because I ask every guest, uh, is if you could give the world one bit of advice to live a better and more meaningful life from your own experiences, what would it be? Off the top of my head, just trust your instincts. If you think something is interesting enough to document, 
chances are there'll be an audience out there who want to see it. It's a great way to end. Thank you, Peter. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak and, yeah, I hope uh, people enjoy this as much as I have. Cheers, Ricky. Thank you for listening to another episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe and share. I'd also like to invite you to an ongoing project called the Move Me mailing list. If you enjoyed the show, I'm confident you'll enjoy this newsletter. It contains links to all the great content I've uncovered each month, along with insights of any interesting opportunities I've discovered. You can subscribe to this by visiting my website at rickyrichards.com. A special thanks to Frankie Byrne and James Utting. They're the tech heads that make this show possible. The intro music was composed by Dom Stores Fox. And thanks again to Reese Chapman for introing me to Lou and Lizette, the wonderful folks at Factory Studios in London, where this show is recorded. Finally, wherever you are in the world, I hope you have a great day and keep creating. Until next time, bye for now. <laughs>